Hi everybody and welcome to the fourth ever Tom Williams podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you especially if you've listened to all four so far. You are officially the best. This week we have a really great chat with a legendary mastering engineer from Abbey Road Studios, Mr. Sean McGee. Sean has mastered my last four albums from 2014's Easy Fantastic, that was the last Tom Williams and the Boat album. He mastered New House and New Guitar, the album I did with Sarah. He also mastered All Change, which came out 2017, and he's also mastered the new album, What Did You Want to Be? So he is the audio equivalent of Safe Hands. I guess most famously, he was involved in the 2009 remastering project uh, stereo and mono collections for the Beatles. The Beatles, everybody. The bloody Beatles. Um, so it was so great to chat to Sean about that. Whenever I'm in there normally, obviously the clock is ticking and a lot of money is being spent. So I've never really had a chance to have a good, proper, geeky chat with Sean about everything that I've always wanted to ask him. So this was great. Um, Sean uh, let us come up on a Sunday. We drove up to Abbey Road. Uh, we drank lots of coffee and it was just so great to chat off the clock um, and really, you know, dig in, which was great. Uh, for those wondering, he even explains what mastering is. So if you don't have a clue what mastering is and you don't think you're very geeky audio-wise, don't worry. Uncle Sean is there for you. It's going to be fine. Uh, what's going on in music land? I shot a music video yesterday. That's exciting. Can't tell you anything about it. Brilliant. Thanks, Tom. Not a problem. Um, April tour is in April. London, we're playing Scarlet in May. The album is now terrifyingly about six weeks away, which is mad. Um, there'll be new songs soon, there'll be new videos soon. Everything's going to be great. But in the meantime, all you need is Sean McGee and episode four of the Tom Williams podcast, which is coming now. You've got a book. Oh, shit. <laughs> the book of questions. I'm going to read a series of quotes to you now. Yeah. You um, said in 1983, yeah. on the 7th of September, at yeah. 4 o'clock. You know, you've mastered four four albums of mine. Four. Four. I remember the first one. Well, that was with Ian, wasn't it? That was, um, and the boat, Tom Williams and yeah, the boat. Yeah, Easy Fantastic. And yeah. that was the first time we'd worked with Ian. And then the second one was an album I, I did with Sarah. Mm. Um, which was new guitar and new house, but you couldn't. Sarah couldn't make the um, the mastering. Yeah, yeah. And then the was, third. Was that the one with the song about, uh, about living above a open mic. That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. I remember I came in. I was like, Sean, we're self-releasing this record. If we could master it in an hour and a half, that would be great. There's 14 mm. songs. <laughs> Somehow got it over the line. And then the third one was all change. Um, which was 2000 and I think we did it in 2016, came out in 2017. Is that the one with all the... The, the university students yeah. on it, yeah, that's it. And then, um, and then, the, and then the latest one. Um, but the main thing I remember is, is, is coming to Abbey Road for the first time and it being like Christmas, like it's been the, be <laughs> the best day of my life. But how do you deal? Surely you get that every day. No. Really? People aren't excited? Uh, no, but people are excited. 
Is it me being excited or that? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, uh, when people, uh, yeah, when people come in. you do your job and you've got people taking selfies yeah, and giggling on the sofa. But... Uh, um, generally, by the time they've got to me, I think in, in masterings, they're, they're quite calm about things. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're here for a short amount of time, but yeah, they are buzzed by the whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's like kids in a candy shop. Nice or tiresome or... No, it's nice to see. You know, it's just they, they, they really want to be here. Yeah. You're not forcing them to be here and... Uh, they're, they're um, I don't know, enjoying the the ambiance of, of the of the place, in the same way as I remember when I when I first turned up here. Yeah. Same thing. You walk into the building and it's got whoa. Yeah. But you yeah. Uh, you you didn't join Abbey Road or Studios in your in your early twenties and mm. what happened? How did you get into being at Abbey Road and getting into mastering? Well, I I used to design um, uh, foundations for people's houses that were sinking into the ground so putting new foundation or re subsidence sub subsidence repairs so right. underpinning piling that kind of thing right and uh the bottom fell out of the market really because uh, there was the uh, sort of uh post or towards the end of the thatcherite um, bubble was bursting and everything was in recession and yeah. all that sort of thing and uh <clears throat> i was out of work for an, a number of years and uh during that time i, I smoke far too much dope and uh, various mind altering substances and started doing music because it just seemed it was something I'd always enjoyed doing just in a home studio at home or yeah, yeah. and then now now the uh, facilities to be able to do that were far in excess that anybody had ever had yeah you didn't need a hall or a room or anything mm. like that to, you know, everything was com you know computerized. You had samplers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And did you just teach yourself how to do it all? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It was, it was just start with the instruction manual, don't you? Start yeah. on page one, and we well, try and make it work first of all, and realize that you can't. And then, so, you t are you are we talking sort of uh, a little cassette multi-track, or a digital multi-track, or a DAW, or a? It started off as a cassette. Tascam for just a normal cassette. Oh right. Two, two channels. Great. <clears throat> and into a little Mackie mixer, and everything was mixed. Wow. Onto the, that's the way people did things, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then a, com a computer to sequence the uh, um, sequence the drums. Okay, so you, you, but you, that's going in at quite a high level, even for a home studio, isn't it? So you must um, have had a pre-existing kind of... I just had a computer. Right. You know, I borrowed, uh, borrowed a PC. There's a bit of software on there, which was a bit like Cubase, a uh, bit simpler to use. Mm-hmm. You know, and it had a multi-port multi um, MIDI interface, uh, had a couple of keyboards. And did you have plugins uh, and stuff on there, or was it No, it was days, this is before plugins. Right, right. This is the, day when Cube, this is the days when Cubase was still on a, an Atari ST, and right. Cubase Audio hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. But the, the nearest thing um, to that was a hard disk recording system developed by, I can't remember... What the company name were, but they were um, a cheetah. That was it. Cheetah. They used to make sound cards and stuff for um, uh, Atari, not Atari, um, Sinclair. Right. For the very first music software I ever had. Wasn't so what kind, of, what kind was, of year? What kind of year are we talking at? Oh, this point? Um, when I started to get it into into it properly, it was in the very early nineties. Right. But dabbling with music and computers was uh, late eighties. Right. Mid 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 eighties. It was just fun and what kind of in terms of influences what kind of music were you were you listening to and what kind of music were you trying to make and 
when I was uh, when I first started getting into it, it was just rock. Yeah. Because that's you know, guitarist. Yeah. Rock. Yeah. Horns in the air, listeners. All that nonsense and uh, not nonsense is good fun. And then uh, um, later on, when I when I started doing it while I was out of work, it was more into doing sort of music for rave and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That was the easiest avenue to get in, and that was the thing that was kind of prevalent yeah. at, at the time. And then I got to about the age of 30, and I thought, oh, God, I've got to do something. Yeah. Because I'm still out of work. It's been three and a half years, and uh, I need to do something now. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to become too old to be employed. And wow. so I, I took the government up on their um, their offers of a thing called a career development loan, and it was one of the only good things the Conservative government ever did. And that uh, gave you the uh, um, the finance uh, to retrain and completely go on in a different direction. I think it was an uh, an addition to um, Tebbit's sort of get on your bike and ride type. Right. Thing. Okay. And it's you know go and retrain, do something else. Wow. We will lend you the money to do it. Wow. Or we will we will sponsor a bank to lend you the money to do yeah, it. Yeah. And then um, when you started earning, you'll pay it back type thing. Wow. A bit like the student loan, but right. And then I got I, I took a, a went on to a sound engineering course which was run at um, Guildford University. And it, yeah. Not the Guildford University itself, but it was a company that rented the facilities during the summer term. And it was called Campus AV. And um, so we had three months in the in the uh, classroom and the studio facilities which they had there, which were quite substantial. And did you find that you were learning stuff that you didn't know already? Oh God, yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah, we had lecturers um, from the university, like Francis Rumsey, and right. who you know he's an expert in psychoacoustics. And wow. the guy, uh, another chief lecturer was a guy called um, uh, David Pope. In fact, he was one of the originators of the, of the course, and he designed uh, the Vatican series Neve wow. desk. And there was John Watkinson, who was um, the 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 guru of uh, digital audio. Instead, you know, wow. he wrote the art of digital audio, which is a encyclopedia book on <laughs> with so much knowledge in there that people haven't got any business knowing it yeah <laughs> but it was, it was people of very high caliber and people they brought in from the industry to give you various different flavors of what there was in there and it was literally down you know it went down to like what is a recording desk yeah how does this how does this work and circuit diagrams and things like that and they kind of albeit over a very quick three months Three months is like a three months sort of almost like a like a, a one year masters almost condensed or is it is it yeah, more of an undergraduate? It's, it's thing? pretty. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an undergraduate. I, I wouldn't know. It's where. probably higher level than that, isn't it? I, yeah, yeah. And it was it was basically to get you into uh, into a position where you could go into a studio and uh, potentially you know hold the job hold a job down. That's the last six months is a six month course. Three months was in classroom. The next three months was a work placement. Oh, wow, and that in itself was worth every single penny of the yes. of the fee. And where was the work placement? Um, it, all kinds of places. Um, one of the work placements was this place. Um, it was Air Studios, Metropolis Studios. Oh my god! Very, you know, proper. And you went to all of them? You... No, no. Oh, I, I, I got a, my, my work placement was with Jacob Studios, and that didn't work out. Right. Um, where was that? Uh, Jacob Studios in Farnham, lovely place. Right. Yeah. It's a. It's so secluded and off the beaten track yeah. as you could walk out into the garden and hear nothing. Wow. Uh, but it was like 10 minutes drive in from Farnham. 
So, you, so is it a residential thing? Yeah, yeah. And it'd been there for a long, long time. Um, so it's a big, it's big tracking space or...? Fairly large, um, a lovely, uh, lovely live room in a very old building. Yeah, beautiful split level thing. You know? Yeah, tremendous atmosphere. Yeah, just nice. Uh, um, but it wasn't to be for me and them. And then um, I then started applying, or you know, getting your black book out and thinking, "What the hell should I write to? I need, yeah. to, I need to try and get a job. Otherwise, I've just wasted six months and yeah. you know, seven grand of Jesus money." Yeah. Because you couldn't, you had to borrow not only your um, your course fees, you had to borrow your living expenses. Right. Because you weren't available for work. You know, you were you were occupied for more than twenty hours a week. And this is still in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah. Seven grand in the early nineties. Yeah. It was wow. An expensive course for six months. Yeah. Jeez. Worth every well, well half, it, half of that was for living. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. You because know, I, I wouldn't wouldn't qualify for unemployment benefit. Right. Because I wasn't signing on yeah. as, as available for work. Yeah, yeah. Because I was doing this course. And so how long did it take you to find yourself in Abbey Road? Um, well, the three months ended at, at Jacobs and um, some people at, who were uh, from my course on the same, you know, on the same intake yeah. uh, had work placements here and said, look, there's a job going here. You might want to apply for it. Wow. So I did. And was that as part of the same trainee no, scheme or was this it was, a it was, job proper? This was a, a job proper. Wow. Uh, it was a job in studios as a, an assistant uh, on many classical sessions. And uh, I didn't get that. So like an assistant engineer? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, an, assist, uh, an assistant as you, you know, start off as a tape op and all that. Yes. That okay. kind of thing. Yeah. And then um, uh, I didn't get that job. Uh, and then about two weeks later... Um, so there was another job going in um, in post production. Right. You might find that as a, a backdoor into into studios. So what is post production? Mastering. Mastering. Right. <clears throat> Basically, it's post. Uh, there's production. Yeah. Post production. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, so you might want to go in. Uh, you know, come in that way. There might be an opening up in the studios. Yeah. Uh, and and did, you ever, did you ever thought about mastering at that? Didn't percentage? know it existed. No. <laughs> and in fact, uh, I didn't know it existed until this. Till I came through the doors of this building and got shown round, and it was like this is a mastering room, and there's someone cutting a record, and it's just like. But how do you describe mastering to people to people that don't make records that aren't in music? Oh, yeah, <clears throat> uh, it is. It's, you know, so you sit and listen to a bunch of uh, uh, recordings that, um, and you listen for stuff that's not supposed to be there, right? Stuff that's wrong, and uh, you then you know you talk with the client whose music it is and ask find out what they expect from it yeah what is there any problems because that's what you're there to do is fix problems yeah and then stick it every once you've fixed all the problems yeah everything else is right right and that that jumps out and yeah anything else after that is optional yeah <clears throat> and and it's uh um yeah that, that, that's that's it really and then you uh, assemble uh, uh, their album from various different sources. Yeah, make sure the levels are good. Make sure the PQ marks. Yeah, you know the the, the start marks yep. in the right place. That kind of thing. That's mastering. Yeah, really. All the other stuff that happens in between playing the music from the computer to wherever it's going is, yeah. is an op optional extra. Yeah. So who who was in charge of sort of training you up and and getting you started with mastering at Abbey Road? The other the other mastering engineers. And initially, uh, I. I Wanted to wanted to learn how to use the, 
the computer editing software purely selfish because yeah. I wanted to edit my own stuff and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. need to be able to learn how to yeah, yeah. <coughs> and then so I had to get myself into a position where I would be allowed to use someone else's system without creating a problem mm. you know going in there and doing without doing damage so yeah. I kind of demonstrated that and then after a little while it was like I'd, I'd work on my shift and after a 12 hour day then I'd work into the, go into the mastering room with the instruction manual yeah start on page one because whenever well, I've whenever I've I think the only mastering I've ever attended is here mm. but whenever I've watched you work it feels like you're you're a frequency ninja like you can hear a piece of music and you can go in and you're on the desk and you're just and you're you're sweeping for frequencies and you're finding out how to fix that problem and and it's it's all very quick and within about sort of two or three minutes mm -hmm. you'll spin round in your chair and look at me on the sofa and go what do you reckon and I just go yeah <laughs> so how is, did you find that your ears were equipped from your engineering training or did you have to almost retrain your ears you, for mastering you retrain it because the uh, the way you're supposed to listen is different. You're not listening, at least I don't. I try not to listen uh, subjectively, right? Uh, because as soon as you start getting into the music, and you're not listening to the sound. So it's you're not listening to words. You're not listening to song <coughs> structure, and yeah, yeah, none of that makes no. any difference to me. No, I'm just totally oblivious to it. Yeah, <laughs> <coughs> it's a, but the noise it makes coming out of the speakers. Yeah, that's important, and then you should be able to within ten seconds or so of hearing something. In a room that you know, yes, know that there's something. There's so, something is a, a lot of it's instinctive? Then is it? It's just knowing, knowing the room and and knowing previous problems that you may have had at, with certain frequencies. Yeah. On other records. So but, how long how long at Abbey Road until you were unleashed on someone's mastering project? Uh, I was here for um, only a couple of years actually. It was it was pretty fortuitous actually because um, you know you could go into a copy room in Abbey Road and if no one dies or retires or they don't expand, you might remain in that room. And never go up the ladder? Possibly, yeah. You could be in there for, you know, 15 years. So what's a copy room? Is that where they <coughs> tape transfer on tapes that are degrading? Exactly. Right. This, this room itself used to be a, uh, a tape transfer room. Weirdly, when I was here um, last time, we bumped into a chap at the, at the um, coffee machine and I... He said hello to, to Jeff and I looked the other way and just kept my head down. And he said, you, Tom, turned out he he was the engineer as a sixth form student at one of the schools I teach at five years ago <laughs> in Eastbourne. It's called Hal. And he's now he's now in the copy room. Oh, amazing. Transferring yeah. old classical recordings to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, would that be from old tape to new tape or old tape to digital? Old tape or? to digital, probably. Right. Yeah, I think he's doing archiving. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the Warner's archive... So that's transferring old analogs uh, to uh, high-res audio, wow. and uh, making a, a, a you know full detail of what actually's what's actually on the tape and that. So uh, when EMI and uh, EMI was broken up and sold, the EMI, car, EMI archive ended up with stuff in there that belongs to Sony. Oh, I see. Belongs to Warner's, Warner's belongs yeah. to uh, uh, Universal, because wow. that's where it was all divided up. Yeah. Warners are uh, making, trying to make sense of their archive. And right. Wow. So, so can you remember? Can you remember what your first? What was the first album that you mastered on your own at Abbey Road? God. No chance of that. No chance. No. <clears throat> was it terrifying, or but at that point was it was it a piece of cake? Uh, it was. It was initially terrifying, I suppose. <laughs> so you you were you know to think 
doing th- silly things like uh, which became habit of making sure that when you put a DAP in a DAP machine, oh DAP machines, yeah, that the uh, record tab is across, right? Because I've put one in before, and uh, um, I thought I'd press play and record by accident. I thought I'd raised erased over the guy's music, and it was like, where is it? Oh my god! <coughs> Luckily, I hadn't. But uh, do those kind of nightmarish mistakes disappear from your workflow over the years, or do they very still... quickly? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You become uh, um, obsessed. Really, I, I wouldn't put a DAT in a DAT machine unless it was mine with yeah. the record tab enabled. Yeah, you just wouldn't do it. Yeah, uh, silly things like putting uh, when you put the records in the the sides for a. Uh, um, vinyl in a box you put them in the right sequence a b c d yeah because the factory might not be expecting that and in they might be thinking well it's going to be the a first isn't it yeah <coughs> and this is, when, uh, this is when you're sending records to, to a the plant. factory yeah because yeah. they'll, they'll get them out and they'll be expecting to pull them out in reversed order and they might be paying attention and uh, you might end up with a record with a, a label of the b side on the a and vice versa so it's just like nope everything goes in yeah the white ray round, but um, nothing, nothing. Are there, are there? Can you think? Are there, have there been any instances where instances where there has been a total nightmare situation like that where you've? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I put it. <laughs> <laughs> so, if mastering mm. is that, then what the hell is remastering? Remastering now that that is a um, that is revisiting something with uh, better equipment to see if uh, it's possible to get more out of the recording because if if, yes. if, if necessary because there's yeah. this amazing quote i'm going to quote you now sean if you've made it different then you haven't done your job you said that of the beatles doing the beatles stereo mono yeah. remasters yeah so that's really interesting yeah because you're what you're trying to do is uh, uh maintain the the initial it's the uh what's the word intention yes you know it sounds like that for a reason you know, and that's yeah. the, and the reason was that's probably how they wanted it to sound, and uh, that's how it's always sounded. So you have to think very carefully about are you going to fix something? Fixing something is a bit easier, but are you going to, you know, it's going to sound a lot better if I put put some EQ in here and yeah. tighten the low end up. And it's yeah. just like, whoa, yeah, is that what you're supposed to be doing? It's when you start interpreting people's, you know. But mm. surely if they had this technology, then they would have loved to do this, or you know what I mean? It, it'll well, get that, that's, that's gets tricky, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, when you're you know, should we take a click out? So the first thing you have to do is decide whether the click is erroneous. Is it, has it been introduced yeah. after the recording, or is it is it there uh, during the recording? Have they worried worried about it? Does it have reverb on it? Yeah. So was it recorded in the room, or is it something that? Yeah. yeah. And would they have if they had the technology? Do you think they would have tried to get rid of it? It's tricky, isn't it? I mean, yeah. especially with Beatles stuff, you know. Um, there was definitely, I can't remember when it was, there was definitely a time, wasn't there, when Motown had an 8-track and, and EMI didn't. And I remember, I can't think what album it would have been on. I can't remember when the... They did Sgt Pepper on two 4-tracks, didn't they? Together. Uh, I think so, yeah. But there was definitely a time where I've read that John and Paul both really loved the bass sound and the low end of Motown records. Mm. And they were kind of really pushing George and Jeff or Ken or whoever was engineering at the time to emulate that but I can imagine remastering a record when you know they were shooting for a big mm. you know fat Motown bottom end you think well I could finally give the boys what they wanted but then you also have to keep yeah you have to be in keeping with the yeah what it is and you know uh, I think uh, um, having looked at all the cutting notes and everything when we were doing the monobox particularly that was 
it was very, and also listening to the tapes, it's very evident that they were trying as hard as they can to get as much huge low end yeah. in their things in them things as possible. But you you know you got limitations like your what you can put on a record yeah. and what was actually physically possible to play back in those days. Yes, because without the needle jumping out and yeah, there's a, I think Robert Soul was cut a number of times in the six months before it was released. Wow. And then there, and then even after it was released, it was cut again. So was it all? Was it just one particular song, or was it? Was it? it didn't really say. It was. It was. I think the problem they had was um, initially was it was jumping, and then they had a, um, I think a pre or post echo issue. Right. What is that? What is that post echo? Because it's on some Led Zeppelin recordings. Yeah, you go. Oh well, it's it, is that it, different. There's, there's like it can be in a couple of places. Right. Now on a record, pre and post echo. Is literally that. There's a um, <coughs> you, you can hear an echo of the vocals, for example, or or a big trans, usually a big transient. Oh, I see. Imagine the, the things cutting this concentric groove, and all yeah. of a sudden there's a big. Oh, I see. Yeah, which might actually, you know, the, the, that deflection might actually uh, encroach into the oh, I the see. real estate of the previous revolution. Gotcha. Yeah. So then, then you're getting an echo, a right. pre-echo of uh, what's just about to come. Right. And on a record. You can get that at the end post echo. So is that? I guess it becomes more likely yeah. the closer you get to the label. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. It could be anywhere. Oh, I see. And uh, it's a thing that can happen um, during or after the cut. Uh, it can happen during processing. The other print through you get is on tape, where you have a magnetic image. is sort of kind of makes its way through several layers of tape. Right. And that usually happens. Um, it's usually on the pre. Yeah, I'm sure, it's pre, I'm sure I'm sure there's you, something you, on the breakdown of communication breakdown or something. Yeah, you'll get an echo of the uh, of the vocal that hasn't come in yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Several revolutions of that. Yeah. That's why it's, that's why tapes are stored the wrong way round and all that sort all of right. thing. Yeah. So what what was the, the what was what was the process of you doing the stereo and mono Beatles remasters? Were you going back to original tapes? Surely original tapes are in pieces by now, and they've you, you're a number of transfers. No. Um, down, or do the original tapes for? It was, um, it's the original uh, cutting tapes. Right. <clears throat> so these are two tracks, stereo or mono. Um, master tapes. Master tapes, um, usually on EMI tape. It's pretty bulletproof, actually. Really? Yeah, and I know you've got the edits that fall off, but right. you kind of want that to happen, so yeah. you can put them back on again. Yeah. And listening to those, cause listening to those tapes, are you, are you listening to them unmastered? No, these are tapes that are mastered. Right. But mastering in those days and mastering now are two different things. Right. In those days, uh, um, the the EQing and all that sort of thing would have been done in the studios, and they would have produced a master, which was ready for cutting. Right. And that, that studio master would have had all the tracks in the correct order. They would have had the gaps done. Everything they wanted. Everything they wanted, and and within reason, the the uh, um, the levels. Yeah. They thought that, you know, there was a very rigid standard of what yeah you know your meter was telling you yeah and Abbey Road and everyone just stuck to that and therefore the levels should have been all right and within a you know within a and that's they kind of are so was mastering at that stage just cutting mastering is mastering yeah it's making masters right <laughs> literally that and the the, uh, the the your job as a mastering engineer was to transfer the music that the studios have made and uh, uh, put that onto a disc that goes to a factory right uh, and that, that's it. Any EQ you might have done was to uh, initially was to 
you know, it's all that the volume's a bit honky, that might cause a problem. Yeah. But, uh, and you, were they compressing and EQing then? They would have compressed and limited and all that sort of thing yeah. to, you know, get things nice and loud and yeah. undynamic. And probably more so in the uh, in the latter part of the, the, the Beatles era, certainly in... in um, I think it was with Please Please Me. I think that album was rejected by the cutting department. Wow. As being too loud for cutting. Yeah. Too loud and too compressed. I love that album. Yeah. I think that's the best sounding Beatles album. I wonder what you yeah. thought, because you, you, you'll you be listening to sort of eight years of music all through different desks, different, mm. different, you know, different fashions, different technologies. You know, it must be fascinating. Because I think, you know, you go from whatever the desk was on the first couple of albums and then mm. and then and then there's the valves go don't they and then there's a solid state yeah so in the late 60s the solid state thing came in oh i see okay but yeah. then it goes from four to eight and i mean which which beatles album for you fidelity wise is 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 the best sounding Ooh, um best sounding or most enjoyable i sort of think <laughs> um uh, uh, for sale is probably the best sounding Really, out of all of them, really is is really quite something. How good that album sounds! And would that who would have engineered that? That'd be Norman, Norman Smith, I believe. Yeah, who also did "Please Please Me." Yeah, it sounds immaculate. Yeah, um, the one that's the most fun to listen to, from a sound point of view. I mean, any, I can't imagine that any Beatles album for you is fun to listen to at this stage. Well, there's, there's there are ones that you can listen to, and there are ones that you can't. Yellow um, Submarine. I can't listen to that album. Don't pass me by. Do you know that song? Uh, yeah, that's, that's on the... Well, um, funny enough, actually, as a digression, yeah, yeah. Ring, Ringo's tracks always sounded better. I read that. So tell me about that. Why does Ringo's song sound better? I think... Uh, oh, it's, it's dangerous ground, isn't it? I think he had less to do with the, um, the the sound. It was basically just get in there, do his thing and piss off sort of thing. So do you think Do you think mainly... Do you think maybe the engineers are, are being able to do their job better, whereas with the other Beatles... The Beatles are in their ear all the time, or uh, I, I can, I can only speculate. I can only speculate. Yeah, before my time, and possibly. And who was, knows? was Ringo like? Um, I'm trying to think what the Beatles, the Ringo song on "Please Please Me" is. Is it "Girls"? I can't think. But was it? Was he ever singing live whilst doing his drum takes? I have no idea. No idea. Yeah, I haven't read that 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 big. Oh, the recording the Beatles. Yeah, no, not interested. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, you, you can talk microphones, numbers to me, and yeah. they mean nothing. I've, yeah. I've never stuck a microphone in anybody's face no. to record them. Yeah. A friend of mine at university made me want a, a mixtape of just all of Ringo's songs as from all the albums as a 12-track album. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. He just gets in there. The voice always sounds good. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the, the mix always sounds safe. Yeah. And I, maybe that's... Where he, uh, um, they do sound, you know, better, more fidelity. You know, it's more fidelity. Yeah. Like, because maybe they, they, the engineers weren't being pushed. Yeah. To, um, you know, like, try and do it like that. It sounds. But great. even in terms of drums, the way they recorded drums over those eight years, it changed so drastically, didn't it? Um, you know. Uh, yeah, I guess. But I mean, like <laughs> White Album. So that's the snare sound on the White Album. Sometimes like a. It's awesome, isn't it? Rifle going yeah. off, isn't it? It's like the closest sort of... Yeah, yeah it's fierce. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that album goes from sublime to utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, uh, in, in all the space of, you know, all in the space of two hours. 
it's the <laughs> it's the of the the snare on glass onion or something yeah yeah it's just like it's so in your face it's ridiculous so i could listen to that album again and again and again you can and it never gets i never get tired of it. i think it's my favorite yeah although i do think it's got the worst beatles song ever on it you're gonna say nine, number nine aren't no i love that yeah, me too. That's why the White Album's great. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it, it really sets dis- it apart. It really disappointed mm. me when they were doing the White Album thing they did recently and everyone kept talking about, you know, there was an Abbey Road <laughs> event in Studio 2 with, I can't think, Georgia Rogers from Six Music and Matt Everett and Miles Kane and uh, Felix from Maccabees. Mm. And they kept talking about it being too long and wouldn't it have made a better single album? And it's such a boring conversation to have because that's why the White Album's so brilliant. Because it's, 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 it's just it's something for everybody on there. I think there's about five B sides from that whole period. The rest is just on the album. Yeah. And one of the one of the B sides became Jealous Guy, you know, and mm. another was Hey Jude. Mm. And even Imagine, I think, was sort of around. You can hear it in the background of some of the outtakes. Yeah, you, you could tell where they were going to go. I suppose. Yeah. 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 But it's just a magic album. No, I think the worst Beatles song is Don't Pass Me By. Oh, well, don't make me blue. I don't mind that. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, the actual track Yellow Submarine is the worst track. It's, are we talking song, recording, the whole thing? I, I, the recording is probably very. It's very good. It's got all the, the it's got you know got all the collage it's bits. Quite, but it is such a horrible song. <laughs> and and uh, it, what's the most horrible thing about it is that it's in the wrong place. It's it ru- on the album. It ruins uh, um, rubber so- oh, no, revolver. Revolver. Revolver for it, me. Yeah, it's in this wonderful, wonderful sort of like uh, mire of not mire. Yeah, mire if you like of of psychedelia and but and also perfect pop as well everything's you know great yeah. tracks they've got great sound yeah it's, it's, the sound is starting to get really edgy and and forward yeah do you know and, and and then there's that yeah you know and it's it's like okay it's a ring is it is it, oh, is, that, is it a ringo song uh yeah it is yeah well, even by go. john i think yeah but i mean i was actually having this chat in the pub last night <laughs> and i was saying we were talking about Beatles, and then I, I eventually just, I just said, right, what, what's your favourite Beatles album? And, and, and uh, he said, Rubber Soul. And I said, I think Rubber Soul is your favourite Beatles album. If you, normally people that say they love Rubber Soul really love Revolver, but just can't stand Yellow Submarine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> there's no Yellow Submarine on on Rubber Soul. There's no equivalent. Yeah, there's no rubbish track on. Well, no. No, there isn't. A but it's track weird, on. isn't it? Because our post, post. Yellow Submarine, you've almost got one of them on every album. I mean, there's a couple on White Album. You've got Rocky Raccoon, you've got Obladio Bladar, you've got Maxwell Silver Hammer. Yeah, you but they're, they're not as crap as Yellow <laughs> Submarine. <laughs> yeah. So do you, what happens when you're, when you're in Tesco and Yellow Submarine comes on? Do you sort of find yourself twitching oh, I, into I, the... I, I just delete it. Yeah. <laughs> delete it from my head. It's, yeah. And it's, it's not an album that I actually like either. Revolver. No, Yellow Submarine. Oh, I see. Oh, I see the film thing. The, 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 the film soundtrack. Yeah. It's, it, it's you know. I don't think I've actually ever listened to it. No, I mean the the, the, the what's in, what is interesting is uh, the B side of that album, which is uh, um, the soundtrack that uh, George Martin composed. Ah. Oh. So that's pretty interesting. I love Magical Mystery Tour sound. I mean that that's an amazing album. That's arguably better. Oh, than, that's great. Yeah. I mean, half the tracks that are on, uh, um, magical mystery, magical, ma- magical mystery are on the, uh, uh, on the, the, no, half the tracks on the yellow sub are on the magical mystery. Side. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And then you've obviously got Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields that were recorded before Pepper and, yeah. but you've also got Hello Goodbye. There's so many yeah, good songs. I think also, uh, um, magical mystery wasn't originally, uh, an album at all. 
It only became an album um, because the States cobbled it together as an album. Oh, I see. Because yeah, the first it was two seven inches, two seven inch oh, uh, EPs. Did not know that. Yeah, double EP. Right. And then they they added a couple of tracks in the States in stereo. And originally, went out as mono. So you've got the Beatles tapes on. You're listening to them. Is there, is there any, are there any modernising sort of cleanup process that you have to do? Do you reduce noise on tapes? Do you no. clean anything up? Would you, do you just? Yeah, you just leave it. You you leave as it is, unless there's a click, and then you have a debate as to whether. It and then is this going back through four different Beatles estates for approval on your masters? It goes to uh, Apple, and uh, when we've done it all, and then Apple approve it. Right. Uh, we also we also have uh, approval on things like factory test discs and, and stuff like that. But everything that happens goes through uh, the Apple Apple Core, and, and that's then it's approved by the board. And was this the first time that the the, the vinyl had been remastered, recut since? No, they, they'd all been they they'd not been remastered as such. They'd been cut and put onto CDs in the in the eighties. Yeah. There's been various repressings and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, this was the first time where it was surgically examined. And so, did you do mono on the whole catalogue? I did the uh, um, I did the mono CD box set. And is that all the albums? Hits. Or that was all the mono, all the albums that were done in mono. Fine. So up to Pepper. <coughs> uh, no, um, white album. White really? album was a deliberate mono. Wow. Yeah, and the only one that um, the only albums that were deliberately stereo, I believe, were Abbey Road and uh, Let It Be. Yeah. Wow. Because everything else was mono. Because I don't know if it a stereo afterthought. Oh, I see. Yes, because they, I know they supervised the mono mixing on Pepper, but then, mm. but then it was Jeff. They do. They supervised pretty much the mono mixing on all the albums. Right. Maybe not so much on the early. So ones. was stereo just a fad at that point? Yeah, it was just like a. Yeah. You know, it was it was unlikely that uh, the majority of people, any any significant number of people. That were would be listening to the Beatles would be listening to it in, on, on a nice stereo and right. with you know dance set all stacked up yeah yeah in the room of a teenager. So the stereo part of the remasters was was just Abbey Road and and Let It Be or was it also um, White Album and Pepper and no the stereo remasters was the entire stereo catalogue right because the catalogue was released in stereo yeah but the 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 main emphasis I think uh, at the time well that's why the bands were involved in yeah in the mono rather than having any interest in the stereos yeah. because that's where their core fan base are going to be listening. Yeah. It's going to be in mono on an AM radio yeah. on the beach or it's going to be in on a on a jukebox in a, in a coffee yeah. shop. Yeah, yeah. Or it's going to be on the dance set at home and that's where it's got to sound good. Yeah. And it's got to be louder there than anywhere else. Yeah. Or where anyone else is. Yeah. Did you, the other thing that you did, we've done loads of amazing remastering titles, but you, you did some Sex Pistols stuff. Mm -hmm. Did you do, did you do the Bollocks album with, when you did no, that? No, I, I did a, re, a vinyl reissue of that, the 30th year, and we cut it from the original tape. Right. And it was the one where, where um, uh, it was a, an LP and a single. Because there was a quite a protracted mastering process on that at the time, wasn't there? Because McLaren wanted it to sound nastier or shittier. Or... Don't know. Beyond me, I, I, I was, I have no knowledge of that. Because I'd heard that <clears throat> McLaren had come to the mastering and said that it was sounding too pristine. Too, sounded too good. Yeah. So we kept getting them to transfer it from tape machine to tape machine to try and. 
I don't know. Degrade uh, it. Whatever they did, it made it sound better. Yeah, it's such a great sounding album. I think if you hear it off of the uh, master tape, the original Court Wrench, it sounds blistering. Yeah. It's incredible. The guitar sound, even today, people are trying hard to get that that energy and that sound. That, uh, was it uh, Chris Was it Chris Bedding? The, the guitar player? No, the uh, um, who, was, who was the guy that got, the, got that sound? Oh, I don't know. It was quite a swanky studio, wasn't it, where they did that? Uh, no idea. Don't know. And what about, you also did a Stones in Mono box set. Yeah, that was cool. Stones, that was remastered uh, all, 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 um, in America by uh, Bob Ludwig. Wow. And, um, yeah, we cut that in a in a great big box set uh, in mono from DSD files. So, so is that, is that, would that have been similar to the, so can you can you think what, what years that was? Because there's an amazing Hot Rocks Greatest Hits, which is all the early stuff. Uh, it's their entire mono catalogue. Right. And how would you... Because I always thought the Stones record sounded significantly more gritty than the Beatles stuff did. Mm. I think, listen, listen to Please Please Me, apart from the obviously the musical aspects of it that have dated mm. somewhat, you know, you put on Saw Her Standing There and it sounds amazing. Mm. Um, it sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday. Mm. But some of the Stones stuff sounds like it's... It's really gritty, like it could yeah, be a cassette yeah. machine in the in the corner of a garage. Maybe that's kind of what they were after, right? Because they, they were know, the they, anti-Beatles, weren't they? Well, and they were also their also their their uh, um, their main influence and obsession uh, was the blues, yeah, and still is. And then they, you know, they were trying to um, mimic, not mimic, but you know, this 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 one sounds like gate mouth something or other, and then. They'd kind of want that vibe and yeah. some of that stuff was recorded, you know, like using virtually nothing. Yeah. But it's weird, isn't it? I, I, for you, having listened to, you know, original tapes from the early 60s in terms of sort of pop rock music, mm. we've gone this weird sort of cycle with technology where we've gone from you know, everything being valved and then everything being solid and then everything going digital. And now we're in a weird space where people like to use a bit of everything. Mm. Recording hasn't got better since the early 60s, has it? Um, yes and no. Because <laughs> uh, I just listened to, you know, Hound Dog or See You Later Alligator and I think this yeah. is this is the bollocks. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's, it's, uh, um, it's the bollocks because it's such a great track. Right. And a great performance. Right. And, and I, I think um, what we... In this industry, particularly, what we—we're uh, not, 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 not a guilt thing. It's just like we're—we're we're too worried and up our own asses about, um, you know, the best converters, the best sounds, and the best this. And yeah. we're losing track of the the best record. Yeah. You know, because uh, it, it doesn't. If you love a track, if you really love a track and a performance, it doesn't matter what it sounds like at all. You'll always love no. it when you hear it. No, it's when people start moaning about kids at the back of the bus listening to something on an iPhone speaker. They love it. They love it because the yeah. track's great. Yeah, and, and as you know, as, as a musician, that should be a really cool thing because they bought it. Yeah, more, more than likely. Yeah, yeah. And and it's the fact that they're actually listening to something together and yeah. enjoying it together, enjoying the track. Yeah. Good music always sounds great. Music that you hate, you'll always hate it. Yeah. It's just that sometimes you might be able to hear it better. Yeah. What have been yeah. your big sort of fanboy moments as a music fan? having artists that you really love coming in with projects. I know you did lots of, some Gary Moore stuff. Gary well, Moore was cool. Um, Rush, I yeah. did. Um, 
I, don't, I didn't get to meet, meet them. Um, met Gary Moore on the last album I did, which was in his last album. Well, so that was new material, but was the rush, was that remastering? Yeah, that was remastering. Uh, and that was the entire catalogue. Initially started off as uh, the Mercury catalogue, yeah. which is Universal owned. And uh, then uh, Atlantic thought it was a good idea as well, because the ones we'd done for Mercury had been very well received. Yeah. <clears throat> so eventually we end, ended up, all bar a few albums, ended up doing all of them over a couple of years, which is great. But they were albums that you were very, very familiar with and that you loved. Oh, I owned. Is it difficult to take your emotions out of it when you've, you know, you said that when you're listening to things to master, you're not listening to lyrics or so. Yeah, you, you switch off, it's easy. But what happens if, you, yeah. if you're trying to zone in and you're trying to do your frequency ninja thing and suddenly you yeah. find yourself singing along to the chorus? You're bugger, aren't you? Well, yeah, well, you, you, you kind of don't let yourself go there. <laughs> right, I see, yeah. It, it's noise. Yeah. It, you know, and the, these are uh, very, very ridiculously detailed speakers in a very, very well acoustically designed room yeah. and you can hear absolutely everything. Um, it's not for listening fun. No. You know, you can sweat, you can put yourself into, uh, put yourself into work mode. Yeah. You can listen to music for listening to music's sake on anything. Yeah. But as soon as I come in here and I sit in front of these things, it's, you hear too much to be able to enjoy it. Yeah. And what's yeah. your, I think, I think I know the answer to this question, but what, what, what's your favourite music? What's your favourite, if you had to pick a Desert Island Disc record? Oh God. Because we've talked about Talk Talk before. <clears throat> Oh, Spirit of Eden. Yeah. Now, that, that is a work of art. Is For you, is that the uh, best-sounding record? One of the best ones ever, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. The one after it, as well. is it one after it or before it? There were two which are very similar. I, I, again, I don't have a, a an encyclopedic memory of, <laughs> uh, of what track is what. I just know that I like them. Yeah. And that, uh, Spirit of Eden, is is a utter work of art. Yeah. Sonically. Yeah. Uh, musically as well, it's just like whoa. Yeah. Considering what talk talk were supposed to be. Yeah. Or what they they were bashed about to be. Yeah. Um, that you think well, that's actually wonderful to listen to. Yeah. It takes you places. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't normally get I don't, I don't get emotionally moved by music at all, but the the textures and everything. Yeah. It was just like, wow, listen to that. Do you find that doing the job <clears throat> almost puts you off music? I mean, what do you listen to in the car when you get in? You're not going to want to put... I, I listen yeah, to all kinds of things. No, I'm not going to put that on. <laughs> Certainly not the B-side. So no. But, um, yeah, the... Uh, uh, you know, uh, listening... I listen to... Uh, um, I listen to tons of music. In fact, since I started streaming on Tidal, I, I've listened to more music than I've ever listened to. So why do you why do you like Tidal? Do they stream at a higher bit rate or? Uh, no, Tidal are good because uh, uh, a they're a bunch of nice people. Right. Uh, I met them in Oslo several years ago before they were acquired by you know, en masse by uh, Jay Z and all that. Oh yeah. And the the the, the whole ethos is is to let people have the music but at a, a standard where you know, you're hearing what they intended yeah. you to hear. So what what is that? Is that a 16-bit WAV? Or? The standard is, is a 16-bit FLAC. Right. It unpacks to that. Right. Uh, but the Mastered series is there in, involving MQA, right. which is a, a, a very highly sophisticated um, method of data compression. You, you can get real... Uh, you can get a 384 track down to the same size as a 16-bit 44.1. Wow. Which is significant. Yeah, because that's the big problem that Neil Young had, wasn't it, with his player? Did you see he... Yes, the, tri the triangular thing that you wouldn't... The Toblerone. Want, you wouldn't want that in your back pocket. No. Falling over. Um, 
Yeah, you know, the, the other question is the other question with all these high res things is, is why? Well, in MQA, I, 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 the guy doing the uh, um, the presentation, the designer of it, a guy called Bob Stewart, very clever man, and uh, he said it's not about frequency content; it's about time resolution and um, the resolution of you know differences of time of audio getting into various. Right. Into, into your, you know, each ear sort of thing, right. which gives you a displacement, and because um, you know, saying like, oh, this, this uh, uh, seven hundred and sixty something, seven hundred and sixty-eight sample rate. Oh, just listen to all those high, extra high frequencies. Yeah. That's a garbage because the microphones aren't designed to pick that up. Yeah, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, you you, you need to do, you need to do this solo recording of John Lennon at multiple, you know, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. No, because the microphone he used. Didn't pick anything up yeah. of that high frequency. It's, yeah. it's all about a sense of three-dimensional space. And stuff. Yeah. So apparently, um, they reckon the most ideal sample rate frequency is 768. I think it was, and that's as near. Ending past that's a waste of time because uh, your your brain's not able to register the differences. Right. It, it, it's a. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But he seemed to know what he was talking about. Yeah, because you also uh, did, you actually you also did a John Lennon box set, didn't you? Didn't yeah, you? we did the signature box set. We did the whole. Um, so was all his solo albums. All the solo albums, yeah, yeah. So that's amazing because, I guess you would have. So that was that from original tapes. Yeah, yeah those the same as the Beatles. The same as Beatles. Yeah. Had the sixth. We had the quarter inch tape and. Yeah, so do you, is it? I mean, does it does it make your job? You know, if you compare, an Abbey Road tape from. You know, '69 to a to a, an Imagine tape that was done at his house mm. um, is 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 the quality of the recording significantly affected or n not I, really? I I think the uh, quality of the performance and the music is kind of what he was after. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't think uh, having listened to all those that uh, he was that stuck on. How on on you know, ridiculous fidelity? Right? Yeah, it's more about a performance and a vibe. Yeah, um, yeah, they, they 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 weren't the best, but then again, the performances were awesome. Yeah, and that's that's the main main thing. Is that the, you know, the, when he sang about something he was angry about. Yeah, he properly did that. Yes. Yeah. You know, How do you sleep? He sang with venom. Yeah, yeah. You know, and. Uh, that was really cool. Uh, They've got a sound from those records, though. I love all that sort of slap on the snare and all that kind of... Yeah, yeah. I guess he was a fan of Spectre, wasn't he? So he wanted Spectre to do the Spectre thing, and Spectre didn't want to do the Spectre thing. It's sort of... Yeah, yeah interesting. I think that's probably, you know, with uh, Let It Be, it got over-Spectre, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Much to the annoyance of... Oh, Poor old Paul. Yeah, when you see the... Uh, the, the letters. Memo, the letters. Are amazing. Oof. Yeah, no, it is amazing. Yeah. Sean, thank you so much. Do you still in do you still enjoy working with audio? Yeah. Do you get tinnitus? I, I've got it. Right. Comes for free. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Uh, I ignore it. Right. Completely. It's it's high it's high frequency, and uh, it's it's constantly there. And can you compensate for it, or you just ignore it? It's like having a TV on in the background. But if you know that certain frequencies are being underrepresented in your in your hearing, do you have to? Bear that in mind when you're EQing stuff. The frequency, they're, they're, um, if you were looking at this, if you were looking at the sound that tinnitus is, right? It's it's like uh, having a little point, a slight point in a in a. How can I describe it? 
imagine a sheet of uh, uh, tin foil. Right. Okay, and then there's a someone's pushing a pin up, and you can just see the pin. Yeah. Like that, and they bring it down. There's a very sharp. Oh, I see. Furrow. That's how sharp the sound is. Right. It's pretty pretty focused, and yeah. it's like a it's it's like having the TV on. The TV's on. Fine. In the background, but it's noisy. You know. You, yeah. Uh, and is there t- any- TVs are, uh, from, from my era? Yeah, they, they used to whistle. Right. They, they, you know, and that's that's kind of it's uh, kind of where it is. And is that from yeah. is that from exposure to loud noise or just from constant exposure? To constant noise? exposure to noise, and I would say the majority of it probably was through not wearing earplugs when I rode a motorcycle. Oh right, I see. up and down the motorway to here. Can you tell me the amazing story of when you came off your bike? You told me an amazing story the first time we came. You were in the fast lane of a motorway. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, the guy, in, the guy in the Volvo. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah I said, "Can you?" I flashed my lights at him. Can you get out my way, please? And he put his brakes on in retaliation. And then uh, my front wheel, I grabbed everything, all the levers to try and stop the bike. And this is at uh, what, like ninety miles an hour, eighty-five miles an hour. Yeah, we're doing that, a good ninety. Yeah, you know, there was nothing in the inside lane. There's no reason why he should be there. Right. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, if I think about it logically, it's actually partially my fault. Yeah. Because had I not done that, he wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, but had he not been in the outside lane hogging it, yeah. in the Volvo, yeah. you know, it doesn't say in the manual when you own a Volvo that you should occupy the outside lane. But he, he, uh, he stopped about uh, 800 yards down the road and he was like that. And as soon as he saw I got up, he got in his car and he was gone. So you flew sort of 40, 50 metres down the motorway? Yeah, yeah, on, on the back and my side. And you said that all of your leathers had just sort of shredded? My, uh, um, I was wearing uh, combat trousers. Um, oh, my God, just cotton trousers? No, combat. Oh, I see. Double layer things. Okay, they, they, right, They right. were all right. Uh, they, the, only, the only reason I got my, most of my shin, the surface taken off, is my combats came out of my Dr. Myers right. and rode up my knee. And then uh, and also on my hip... Uh, they'd come down a bit and I'd scrape my hip. But other than that, it was pretty solid. My so gloves just, hadn't gone through. So you were just a ragdoll down the motorway at that point? Yeah, yeah. You have probably, no con- that probably saved you then, maybe. I yeah, don't you know. have no control. And you just like... The main the main thing is, is, where's the bike? And you want the bike to be in front of you. Yeah. And it was, because the bike's going to be going a lot faster than you are. Wow. And if it weighs like eight or 900 pounds, you don't want to be behind, you want to be in front of it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's going to collide with you. Yeah, yeah. And luckily the motorway was straight, so I didn't end up going into the, because if it was a curve, I could have gone into the um, central reservation and that would have been quite messy. You don't ride the bike anymore? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, well, I, I had done, um, uh, up till a couple of years ago, um, I was riding in every day. Part of my uh, um, midlife crisis was like that. I hadn't been on a motorcycle for 20 years and I needed to kind of lay that demon to rest. Yeah, and yeah. I bought a motorcycle. I started coming back to and from work in it. Yeah. I loved it. I, yeah. I used to love it. Don't, yeah. care, don't care about the weather. No. If it's freezing cold, you just get heated clothing. It's easy. But does that mean you have to get in extra early and go and have a shower and no, no. change all your clothes? Or? No, no. Then you stink if when you come in. No, you, you, wear a, you wear a base layer, you wear your leathers, you come in, take them off, put clean clothes on. Right. Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's easy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a great way of, in the summer particularly, it's a, it's a great way of travelling. At night time, it's the closest thing to flying without having yeah. wings. Yeah. You know, because... And what have you got coming up in terms of, I guess you can't, you can never talk about anything coming up in terms uh, of... Because I don't know. 
Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have no idea. I, there's not much in the diary at the moment. Right. For the next week, but there'll be stuff. Yeah. Have you? How? How is? In terms of the studio being busy, mm. has that changed over the last twenty years? Is it more difficult than ever for these rooms to stay open, or will it's they got always busier? Actually, this last, really? this last year we've had our best year. Um, Best year in a long time, in fact. Fantastic. Yeah, post-production particularly. Yeah. Um, we uh, exceeded expectations by a, a significant, you know, a, a silly amount. It was it was quite quite something. Yeah. And the the targets we've been we had been set were were quite high, and you know they're quite uh, you know weren't, weren't a target that makes you think, oh God, how are we going to do that? Sort yeah. Of thing. And we managed to achieve it. It just gets bigger. You know, busier and busier. Yeah, you got the new and you got the new room also. The little what's it, is it? What's it called? The little is coach house or the townhouse? Or what is it? Uh, there's two little rooms, isn't there? There's there's the gatehouse which is down the side. Oh, that's it. Yeah. That used to be an old e um, editing block. So that seems like a little writing room, but where you can sort of demo there and yeah. put a small band in and there. And then there's the front room. Yeah. As well, which used to be a remastering room, and that's at the front of the building. Literally, as you walk in, it's on the, the, the build, that room on the right hand. Yeah. Side. Left-hand side. I mean, if you think what, you know, all the music that was made in the 60s, you know, we've just had all the 50-year anniversaries. We're just about to go into the mm. 70s. I mean, mastering's sewn up. Mastering's the... Well, I mean, I, I, as long as vinyl, actually, itself, if vinyl lasts uh, until I retire, I'll be very happy with that. Yeah. Because that's the one thing that no one else can do. Yeah. You know? Not here for the mini-disc remasters. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I, you know, I, I really. I, I don't think I anyone misses mini discs. I think it's fine. They were kind of, they were handy for field recording. They were great. Well, they were great for making mixtapes, and you could tape straight off the radio. And I don't think I, yeah. I don't think I ever saw a mini disc that someone actually bought the album from the shop on yeah. mini disc. I had a mini disc player that recorded, and it was like you could take samples. Oh yeah, my yeah. Um, aunt in the band, he used to demo on it, and they sound yeah. great. They're wonderful little things. Yeah, yeah. but not yeah, just a non-starter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sean, thank you very much. Uh, absolute pleasure. Amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. On a Sunday as well. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Obviously, biggest thanks to Sean. Thank you so much for letting us come up to Abbey Road, the Temple of Sound, and uh, chat. It was amazing. And, you know, any excuse to go up to that place, it is magic. Um, and thanks for listening everybody uh, what else do you have to do have you bought tickets to a gig and have you pre-ordered the album I'm sure both those answers are yes in which case that's awesome thank you so much if you haven't TomWilliamsMusic.net Facebook, Instagram, Twitter you know what to do thank you so much everybody have a lovely week and we will be back in two weeks with a new podcast have a good one